Welcome to the Arthroscopy Association of North America's Arthroscopy Journal podcast. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association of North America or the Arthroscopy Journal. Welcome, everyone. I'm Dr. Clay Nelly with TSAOG Orthopedics in San Antonio. Today, I have the privilege of speaking with a great friend of mine from our joint days at the University of Missouri, Dr. Seth Sherman. Dr. Sherman is a new faculty member at Stanford University and team physician for the Stanford Cardinal football team. Dr. Sherman was the lead author on an infographic entitled Optimizing Patellofemoral Cartilage Restoration and Instability with Tibial Tubercle Osteotomy, published in the August 2019 edition of the Arthroscopy Journal. Dr. Sherman, thanks for joining me. Hey, Clay. It's uh, great to be here. I'm really uh, proud of all the work you're doing down in San Antonio and excited uh, to share uh, some of the work that I've done with my colleague, Jack Farr, uh, and our fellow, uh, Joseph Humphreys. So this infographic was an excellent infographic. It really packed a lot of terrific information into one uh, quick visual. But for those uh, people or listeners that maybe haven't actually seen the infographic or the visual yet, and I would encourage everyone to check out the, the infographic and the visual on the Arthroscopy Journal website. But for those that haven't seen it that are maybe listening on the podcast for the first time, could you just take us through your basic algorithm for how you evaluate patients and, and indicate patients for a tibial tubercle osteotomy, whether it be for cartilage restoration or instability or both? Absolutely. So really the goal of this uh, infographic um, was to show the broad range of uh, options um, that you could uh, perform uh, tibial tubercle osteotomies, uh, really to treat a broad range of pathology. And so we kind of broke up uh, our thought process into uh, how we might use tibial tubercle osteotomy for cartilage restoration, and then how we might use it in the setting of patellofemoral instability. And then as far as uh, subsets, uh, we uh, really uh, do a little deeper dive into when you might be able to do isolated tibial tubercle osteotomy um, versus when you may need cartilage restoration, soft tissue stabilization, or other uh, procedures. Um, and so uh, just uh, you know, focusing mostly uh, on uh, cartilage restoration, um, tibial tubercle osteotomy in that setting is really used uh, purely as an unloading procedure to take uh, load or distribute load uh, within the patellofemoral joint. Um, to that um, uh, note, uh, we need to make measurements. Uh, typically, we're making measurements both on x-ray. Typically, those would be sagittal plane measurements of patella height using the Catan de Champ index. Um, but using uh, axial advanced imaging studies, um, MRI and or CT, and looking at distances such as the tibial tubercle to trochlear groove uh, distance. Um, it's important to note for both cartilage restoration and for patella instability uh, that there really are no perfectly defined uh, um, uh, steadfast numbers that we can rely on. Uh, this is certainly a gestalt at best, and we need to take patient contextual factors into consideration, such as how many times they've dislocated, what is their age or activity level, uh, et cetera. And we may be able to uh, go into that a little more uh, later on, Clay. But uh, just to keep it fairly straightforward uh, with cartilage restoration and tibial tubercle osteotomy, key points that we've learned from Dr. Fulkerson and others, if you have distal lateral cartilage uh, defects, and you have malalignment as evidenced by a tibial tubercle trochlear groove distance greater than, let's say, 15, you can do an unloading antermedialization type tibial tubercle osteotomy that actually takes pressure off of that distolateral patellofemoral joint 
it distributes those forces nicely. And that actually can have excellent outcomes, 87% good or excellent outcomes of that cohort. And note that that is without adding concomitant cartilage restoration. So certainly a less morbid option than having to do both. On the flip side, it's really important to cartilage map because if you have really large central medial or pan patella or bipolar lesions and you do the same osteotomy, then they won't have as good results. And so in that setting, not only do you need to fix alignment, but you also uh, need uh, to perform cartilage uh, restoration. Uh, so I think if you get those two key points down uh, from this infographic, you're well ahead of the game uh, regarding cartilage restoration. Just briefly to touch on the principles we covered for instability, um, you know, the uh, um, using osteotomy purely for instability in and of itself is controversial. And so uh, we can use it to correct a lateralized tubercle position, uh, or we can use it to correct patella alta um, in the setting of instability. But these thresholds are a moving target, uh, and they're certainly, for me, getting higher and higher. When we have combined instability and cartilage um, uh, defects, so we're using it really for both uh, correcting force vectors and for unloading, my threshold gets a bit lower for using tibial tubercle osteotomy. But in the isolated setting, it, it's rarer and really reserved for those patients who have low energy dislocations, maybe a younger age, um, uh, bilateral uh, type symptoms. Uh, really the ones that have the most um, uh, deformity. And so my thresholds uh, for uh, tibial tubercle trochlear groove distance uh, are greater than 20 millimeters. My thresholds typically for Catan to Shams ratios are greater than 1.4. Um, we need more studies clinically uh, to show um, uh, that, that we should be doing osteotomy in the setting of, uh, of soft tissue uh, stabilizations. Um, you know, I think uh, we do have uh, good biomechanical evidence that when you have malalignment uh, like that and you try to do MPFL reconstruction, that the isometry may be less ideal. So those are kind of the uh, current parameters that may guide us, but certainly this is an evolution and a moving uh, target, Clay. Absolutely. That's, that's just, that was an awesome synopsis of tibial tubercle osteotomy in a nutshell. Um, let's <laughs> dive into a little bit of the technical details. So strictly for the focal distal lateral patellar lesions, um, the AMZ, the anteromedialization, is there a certain angle that you're shooting for? Is there a certain distance? I mean, obviously certainly maybe based on the, the TTTG distance, are you trying to correct a certain amount based on that amount? Can you take us through your thought process and actual technique for that in particular to start? Sure. So I think it's it's quite nice with a tibial tubercle osteotomy because we really can dial in the amount of anteriorization and the amount of medialization. So it's not just one osteotomy fits all. We have the, the different planes that we can move it anterior, we can move it medial, we can move it distal, we can do combinations. And so um, if I'm correcting uh, instability with a very high TTTG and there's no cartilage defect or a small cartilage defect, I may just do a medialization alone. Um, versus uh, if uh, I have much more of a uh, cartilage defect I want to unload and the TTTG distance is borderline high, then I may do a steep slope anterization uh, with some slight medialization. Um, and so you really can uh, tailor it uh, to the specific patient. Uh, I would say that um, one thing that's worked nicely for me that I've moved towards uh, recently is really looking at the intraoperative tibial tubercle to, sulc uh, to sulcus distance. And so what that means essentially is before the surgery, you have a large clinical Q angle, a lateralized force vector, 
And then when you move the tubercle and take it through range of motion, you really want it to be straight in line uh, in the midline, and that will optimize tracking. And so uh, it can get confusing to make really precise measurements. We do the best that we can, but I think that if you know your relative targets, you don't over-medialize or over-distalize, which can cause harm, uh, and you look at your tibial tubercle sulcus um, distance uh, in the operating room, uh, then you're less apt to make any um, large mistakes. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. I think that's what makes tibial tubercle osteotomy such a powerful tool is the ability to really customize and individualize it based on the individual patient's anatomy, you know, from a case-to-case basis. Um, kind of moving to the to the next um, step, you know, for those medial, central, or those pan patellar um, lesions with an elevated uh, TTTG, um, what is your go-to cartilage restoration procedure, or do you have a go-to cartilage restoration procedure for the patella or patellofemoral joint in general at this point? Yeah, I think when you're dealing with patellofemoral joint preservation, you really need a, a vast toolbox. I mean, you certainly need to have uh, all the different osteotomy skill sets. You need to know how to soft tissue balance uh, on the medial and lateral sides. And then you need to really be selective on which cartilage procedure for which patient. So for me, the workhorse in the patellofemoral joint when I have to uh, treat the cartilage uh, is typically cell-based cartilage repair. Certainly of that category, Macy has the longest, uh, or ACI have the longest standing uh, data. Um, but I do have to have osteochondral allograft uh, in my uh, regimen. Um, certainly I use that uh, as patients get a bit older, as their joints get a little narrowed, as there's osteophytes, uh, if there's significant subchondral compromise, um, not just uh, some subchondral edema with an intact bone plate, or if there's other pathology, uh, AVN or the likes, um, or a failed cartilage procedure. So, you know, the list grows uh, for osteochondral allograft uses in the patellofemoral joint, and we have more and more outcome studies showing um, good or excellent success. However, I would say that in any cartilage restoration paradigm, you don't want to burn bridges. And so if I can treat this joint with good long-term evidence uh, with a surface-type cell-based procedure, I'm going to try to do that uh, first. That makes sense. So obviously, if you're doing a cell-based procedure like an ACI, that's a, that would be a two-stage procedure typically. Um, so are you just doing the staging arthroscopy and biopsy and then doing the uh, TTO and the cartilage restoration procedure then both together at the later date? Are you staging one and then the other? How are you approaching that? Yeah, I think in, in general, except for small, you know, really small or some, some medium lesions where you can be ready with some off-the-shelf options or some... Uh, you know, fresh pre-cut options. Most of cartilage restoration, joint preservation, these patients have had surgeries before at salvage. And so, you know, there is tremendous value for me in staging arthroscopy. And so really comparing them on the base of one or two stages, you know, doesn't make as much uh, sense. I really just try to treat the patients and the defects to, you know, the best uh, that I can. Um, You know, I think uh, if uh, there's a chance that I can optimize the environment with tibial tubercle osteotomy while at the same time understanding the size depth location of the cartilage, maybe taking a biopsy for future uh, Macy. Uh, if the patient's doing really well, then maybe I don't have to come back for that second stage. Alternatively, if it's a foregone conclusion, they've had multiple failed surgeries, large medial-based defects and malalignment, and I think osteotomy is necessary, then I wouldn't do one than the other. I would do a simple scope-type surgery and then come back once they've uh, rehabilitated uh, for the larger uh, a la carte uh, second stage all-in-one. So it's really not two 
uh, large procedures. It's one smaller one and then one larger one. So uh, really uh, case-based uh, and patient-specific uh, when I might do a single or two-stage. I would say starting out, certainly erring on the side of caution and trying to do more two-stage uh, surgeries um, just so that I decrease surgical time and morbidity uh, for my patients and potentially minimize the number of procedures I might need to do if they're doing well after the first one. That's great. That's a terrific approach. Um, uh, last major question. So for instability, when you're doing the instability procedure concurrently with the TTO, and there's obviously a number of different types of instability procedures, and again, each patient is specific, but do you have a go-to um, medial instability, either reconstruction or repair? And, you know, a lot of, a lot of literature, we all seem to be moving yeah. a little bit more proximal or evaluating the, the quad tendon and stuff a little bit more, but where, where are you at right now with that? Yeah, so I think that um, you know when you're when you're realigning the joint, doing tibial tubercle osteotomy. If you do have really good medial tissue uh, quality uh, and you don't have significant trochlear dysplasia, and these are big ifs because that's rare in my world, uh, you might be able to just do an, uh, a medial uh, patellofemoral restraint repair. That said, I've really moved away from that because I think in my hands, the gold standard for me and my patients and my outcomes has certainly become the medial patellofemoral ligament reconstruction. Um, I'm typically using soft tissue allograft. Um, note, uh, this is really just a check rein to lateral translation. Uh, this needs to be done after the tibial tubercle osteotomy has corrected the bony malalignment. So the TTO is over. If you had a lateral retinaculum uh, tightness, fixed uh, patella tilt, uh, then you would also want to be doing a lateral retinaculum lengthening to balance the lateral side of the patella, and then really putting in that check rein, um, which is a very um, you know low Newton uh, structure. Um, and so uh, for me, that's that's pretty much uh, been my uh, workhorse. Uh, that said. Uh, I think that you can get um, the same um, excellent uh, outcomes uh, looking uh, more proximal in the, um, uh, with the medial patellofemoral restraints. So we talk about the medial quad tendon femoral ligament or hybrids of MPFL and MQTFL. Um, and certainly different graft choices are on the table. Uh, some are advocating partial thickness quad autograft and uh, bring it down to the insertion. I tend to stay away from hamstring autograft uh, for the three theoretical and practical concerns that a lot of these are young female athletes and I really want the hamstrings functioning optimally uh, to prevent neuromuscular abnormalities when they go back to sport. Agreed. Those are those are terrific pearls. Uh, Dr. Sherman's infographic, Optimizing Patellofemoral Cartilage Restoration and Instability with Tibial Tubercle Osteotomy can be found in the August 2019 edition of the Arthroscopy Journal or online at www.arthroscopyjournal.org. Seth, thanks a lot for joining me today. Thanks, Clay. I really appreciate it.